Amen. Good morning, church. Today's the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it and in the Lord himself who loved us so much that he gave himself for us. Today we also celebrate Memorial Day as you heard Tony playing the hymn and all the brave men and women who have also given their uh, ultimate sacrifice for our sake, uh, for our country, and for all of us. And we honor their memory today and we're so thankful for the gift of freedom that they've given us. Psalm 97 says, The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all peoples see his glory. Let's stand and worship our great Savior.
Let's read responsively together. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The, the Lord, Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. The world is firmly established. It, it cannot be moved. Your, your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. The seas have lifted up, O Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters. Mightier than the breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your statutes stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days, O Lord. The Lord on high is mighty.
Psalm 89, parts of it says, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. Is that true of us today? Will we sing of it forever? Yes. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever and that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are those you who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, Lord. Our confession time today is through two songs as we sing these truths that we're always before God's throne, yearning to, to walk in the light of his presence. And then that God will hold us fast, whether through a sin or a great trial, we know he will hold us fast.
sin. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight. This May, we as a church family 
join in recognizing Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. We celebrate fellow citizens of Asian and Pacific Island heritage among us and reflect on how they enrich the history, culture, and achievements of our nation. Sadly, we also live in a time when more frequent violent attacks against Asian Americans are rising. Over 2,800 documented in the last two years. And hate speech against Asians in our own country is increasing, a crime against our fellow humans and a profound offense to our creator. Chicago and her suburbs are a community of nations, and we as a church family are blessed to count as members of our congregation, many from the Philippines and Cambodia, as well as from China, Korea, Japan, Myanmar, Thailand, Vietnam, Indonesia, Pakistan, India, Sri Lanka, and other Asian nations. Some have come as refugees. Others arrived as students or as working professionals, still others as immigrant children. But we are neighbors and one church family. We see how the love of Christ unites us, not in a way that erases our differences or seeks to homogenize us, but rather in a way that rejoices in the divine image in our distinct faces and diverse traditions in a way that urges us to appreciate and learn from each other, becoming socially and spiritually richer together. I'm reminded that no people on the face of the earth has come to know Christ apart from the lips of foreigners. The gospel came to our ancestors from the ancient Middle East, for over 90 years, our little church has sent ambassadors of Christ to other peoples around the globe, including scores to Asia, where 16 of our missionary families now serve. In recent decades, we've uh, witnessed an accelerated inpouring of Asians into our nation, neighborhoods, and household of faith. I have a few pictures for you this morning. We're grateful for the leadership of Filipino Sam Movido, an elder of our church, who with his wife Anna also shepherds our agape community of Filipino Americans. Wheaton Bible Church is home as well to Cambodians who gather weekly to worship in the Khmer language. On February 27th, we celebrated the baptism of five members of the Khmer Fellowship. Both of these Asian communities have their own fellowships at WBC while also taking part in the broader life of our church in worship, giving, serving our neighbors, and supporting our missionaries. We witness something else as well, that nations of Asia, which in centuries past have been seen as missions fields, are now a rising and powerful mission force. Korea, the Philippines, China, India, Samoa, and even Mongolia are peoples who now send tens of thousands of cross-cultural ambassadors of Christ 
to neighboring nations and around the world, courageously and joyfully joining in the global Great Commission. May all glory be to God. I appreciate the scripture that Katie chose this morning. The Lord reigns, let the earth be glad, let the distant shores rejoice, the heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all peoples see his glory. Would you join me now in a moment of prayer? Lord, this is a day of rejoicing. We read in your word in Acts 17 that you made the world and everything in it. You reign over it as Lord of heaven and earth. You give to all human beings life and breath and everything we enjoy. From one man you made all the nations, the ethne, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And you determine our times and history and the places where we live that we all might seek you and reach out for you and find you. For you are not far from any one of us. And in you, we live and move and have our being. Lord, we see your artistry and the beauty of diverse lands and ethnicities and cultures. And this morning, we honor and thank you for our Asian American brothers and sisters. Lord, this is also a day of mourning. Another week, another mass shooting. Two weeks ago, it was an attack on a Taiwanese church in California. The same weekend, the murder of black mothers and fathers simply shopping for groceries in Buffalo, New York. And Tuesday, the incomprehensible slaughter of a classroom of children and their teachers at an elementary school in Texas. My heart and mind keep going back to images of 10-year-old Amory Joe Garza, whose three-year-old brother keeps asking for her, but will grow up without the companionship of his sister. Her mother and father and stepfather will have an ache in their hearts every day of their lives. Our Father in heaven, deliver us from evil. The crisis in Ukraine reminds us that our lands and lives can be stolen from us. That we sometimes have to fight to defend our freedom. This is also a day of remembrance. That there are those who have and who today protect us even at the cost of their lives. So we remember and honor and give thanks to you for protectors in our lives, and especially those who serve with integrity in our nation's armed forces. Lord, I thank you for my father and uncles who wore the uniform in the past, 
for my son and nephew who wear it now? Would you guide and guard the protectors of our freedom and spur us all in living up to our nation's noble aims of liberty and justice for every human being? And not simply in creeds and through our military, but in the things we say and do in our everyday lives. To you, the life giver and Lord of heaven and earth, be the glory. Amen. Amen. Well, if you'd like to open in your journal to page 18, if you brought your Matthew journal with us, uh, we'll be reading our scripture passage this morning from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Again, page 18 in your journal. I want to invite you to stand in honor of God's Word as we read. You can also follow the scripture uh, on the screen if you don't have a journal with you. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. And angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord recorded and preserved for us. You may be seated. All right, good morning, familia. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez, and I wanted to welcome you all again, whether you're worshiping with us in person or you're worshiping with us online. Um, We are so glad that you are here, and we get to open up a scripture, we get to worship together and open up a scripture together. Um, Today, I want to start by reading a famous writer, a famous quote by a famous writer. And as I read it, I want you to ask, ask, ask yourself this question. 
Is that a description of me? This is a quote by C.S. Lewis in which he says, There are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about the devil. One is, that, is to disbelieve in his existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in him. I think that he's right. I think that both positions are unhealthy. In one end, if you don't believe that the devil is real, or on the other end, if you have an unhealthy obsession with him, you're going to run into problems. I believe that the Bible offers a better option. I believe that the Bible calls us to believe that the devil is real, while at the same time to believe, number one, that the devil was already defeated by Jesus Christ at the cross, Therefore, we don't need to be obsessed with him. And the second thing, that even though the devil has power, his power mainly works in our thoughts. Because as he works in our thoughts, he affects our hearts. And if he affects our hearts, then he would also affect our wills. So the best uh, or the most theological expression I could give you to show you what our attitude should be toward the devil is this. Relax, but not too much. <laughs> Relax about the devil, but not too much. So I need you to do me a favor and look at the person next to you and repeat the same phrase. Relax, but not too much. Go ahead. Today we're going to talk about these under four headings. All that starts with the letter T. We're going to talk about temptation. Tempter, technique, and triumph. Listen, it took me like two hours to come up with those four letters. Four words. Temptation, tempter, technique, and triumph. Let's go with the first point, temptation. Why start with this word? Well, because the Bible shows us, this text makes it super clear, that one of the, one of the things uh, how the devil works is, to, is by tempting us. But well, one of the primary ways how the devil works is by tempting us. That's what we have in chapter 4, and four verse 1, in which he says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Can you say tempted? Now, I'm going to explain the first part of that verse later on, because it's an interesting part of the verse. But for now, I just want you to notice um, that this happened right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. If you were here last week, or if you're familiar with the text, you might remember that last week we learned that Jesus was baptized, right? This is right at the beginning of his ministry. And right, right after he gets baptized, the devil comes after him. But pay attention to the way he's coming after him. He's not coming after him to scare him. He's not coming after him to show, him, to show himself as an ugly-looking demon. He does not come after him to, to make him feel this dark presence uh, that there's something wrong, even though some of that stuff happens, and I think that the Bible shows that some of that stuff can happen. But I want you to see how the devil shows himself to Jesus, and all he does is he speaks to him to play around with his thoughts. He approached Jesus to speak to him and to play around with his thoughts. Now, the word temptation in the Bible has a double meaning. 
Actually, the same word can be used to describe temptation or testing. It plays a different role. And I actually think that the devil and God uses the same word for different purposes. See, the devil uses temptation as to cause us to sin. Therefore, what he wanted Jesus was to sin. And God uses the same thing, but to test the character and the nature of a thing or a person. In this case, Jesus. The same event used by the Father and the devil in two different ways. For the devil was to make Jesus sin. For God the Father was to test Jesus' character, if you will. There's a couple of things that I want you to see there that you cannot miss. The first thing is that if you really want to live for God, if you really want to live for the glory of God, you ought to expect that the devil goes after you. If the devil went after Jesus, what makes you think that he's not going to go after you? I want to remind you that this is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Anybody, and you see this throughout the scripture, anybody that wants to live for the glory of God ought to expect the devil to go after you. So this is Jesus. He gets baptized. The Holy Spirit comes upon him to commission him and to empower him. The Father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he starts a 40-day journey of temptation. The Gospel of Matthew doesn't say that that's what happened. But if you read the version in the Gospel of Luke, Luke, it tells you that Jesus was tempted every day for 40 days. What we have here is the culmination of all that temptation. The ultimate temptation, if you will. So if you are here and you're already a believer... Part of the reason why your life is complicated, part of the reason why my life is complicated, part of the reason why we cannot expect that everything is beautiful and perfect all the time is because the devil is real and he's in the business of making your life miserable. Simple as that. So if you are here and you are a believer and you don't think that your life is supposed to have struggles, someone sold you the wrong gospel. It is expected That if you're a believer, you will go through problems from people outside the church and from people within the church. If you are not a believer just yet and you are exploring Christianity, you might be thinking, why would I want to become a Christian? And I want to make the argument that the devil goes after you just as much as as Christians. And my reason is super simple. You have been created in the image of God. And because every time the devil sees you, he sees God. He hates you just as much as he hates God. The only thing is that you didn't know that. The devil has something against anybody that looks like God. And since we are all created in the image of God, we ought to expect the devil to be working with us and inside of us. The second thing that I don't want you to miss there is that when we face temptation, that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. I think that there's an unjustified guilt for so many people to say, I don't know why I feel these temptations. I don't know why I struggle with this. And I want to remind you that if that would be the case, if there's something that God, that you feel, if there's something wrong with someone feeling temptation, then why is Jesus being tempted? 
There's a huge difference between being tempted and surrendering to that temptation. So the question that someone may ask is, what is the difference between Jesus and us? And this is my argument. Jesus was tempted or tested as an invitation to go against his nature. You and I are tempted or tested as an invitation to surrender to our nature. Let me make that clear. Let me make it clear again. Jesus was tempted or tested to go against his nature. But we are tempted or tested to surrender to our nature. Where do you get that from, Hannibal, you would say? Well, thanks for asking. James chapter 4, chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. Now, before we read it, before we put it on the screen, um, if we haven't already, uh, if we, before we read it, I, I, listen, I'm about to convince you that you are not as good as you think you are. And I'm about to convince you that the devil uses what you already have. So even though we can blame the devil for certain things, at the end of the day, you could only blame him for the things that you already have. You ready? James chapter 1, verse 13. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. James says that the goal of temptation is to make you sin, and God would never do that because sin dehumanizes you, is an offense against him, and it hurts others. Therefore, God will never want to tempt you so, it, so you can get dehumanized, so it's an offense against him, and you hurt others. Look at the explanation about temptation in verse 14. But each person is tempted... When they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Can you see how James makes a distinction between a temptation and sinning? Everyone is tempted, but not everyone needs to surrender to that temptation. But I want you to pay attention to the phrase evil desires. In the original, it's actually one word, epithemia, and it means to desire, longing, or craving. And the word enticed there means to be persuaded, right, and to be trapped into something. Now, if you put the whole concept together, look at what it says. We are tempted with the things that we already desire, we long for, and we crave. I find it significant that in the text, the word evil doesn't appear. In the original language, the word evil doesn't appear. And I think that part of the reason why that word is not there is because the text explains that the problem with temptation is not necessarily that you surrender to evil things. It tells you what the devil uses is when you want even good things and you use them like if they were God things. Is when you desire some things way too much, when you love things way too much, when you long, long for things way too much, when you crave things way too much. Becky Pepper put it this way: whatever controls us in our, whatever controls us is our Lord. 
The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by acceptance. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. Whatever is the Lord of your life, that's what you desire, that's what you long for, and that's what you crave. So what does the devil do? The only thing he could do, he elevates those things in your head. And he helps you think that you can do without them. And whenever those things replace God, that's when you surrender to your temptation. Christianity, listen up, church, is not just about avoiding evil things. It's about avoiding good things that can replace God. Man, that's a good tweet. Christianity is not just about avoiding good, evil things. It's about avoiding things that can replace God. You want me to give you an example? Judas. John chapter 13 says that during the Last Supper, the devil had already put into his heart for Judas to betray Jesus. Listen up. If you know anything about Judas, you already know that Judas had problems with love for money. He was kind of the treasure of the group. And the Bible tells us that every time he, he will handle the money, and sometimes it will be one for Jesus and one for me. The Bible tells you that he had this practice of keeping some money that didn't belong to him. So the Bible tells you that he already had this devilish practice in his heart, this tendency in his heart. This is what I find crazy, though, is that no one out of the 12 disciples for three years ever noticed that Judas did that. You know what's even more crazy? Pay attention here, church, because sometimes we focus on the devil outside of us and not inside of us. When they're having the Last Supper, they're asking the question, who is going to betray me? Who is going to, Jesus said, someone is going to betray me? In front, this is a public conversation, okay? Who, some, one of you is going to betray me? And then people say, is it me, Lord? Is it me, Lord? Is it me, Lord? Even Judas says, is it me, Lord? And Jesus didn't go, uh, of course it was you, Judas. Does he say that? Notice this. He says, whatever you're going to do, do it quick. Basically, you are going to betray me. You know what's even more crazy than that? No one caught that. None of the rest of the group said, of course it was Judas. Didn't you see him when we went out to cast out demons, how his demons never came out? No one said that. Peter didn't go, yeah, he looked like the, devil, the devilish one. No one caught that. No one said, you remember the time in which his head was going around? Nobody said that. Do you remember the time in which his voice changed? No one said that. Why? Because the devil was using what he already had. He didn't get demon possessed. He was demon influenced. And that's how the devil uses temptation. He looks at the things that you already have and he elevates those things 
And that's how we surrender to our temptation. So listen, every time you behave against the fruit of the Spirit, that's the devil behind your heart. But it's still your heart. You could never say, the devil made me do it. Yes, he did, but because you already had it. That's why temptation is so dangerous. I think that if you are a believer, you always have to remember that the biggest problem is never outside of you. It's always inside of you. That's why I think that as Christians, there's wisdom that we avoid certain things, that we avoid certain places, that we avoid certain people. But if you think that that's going to fix your problem, you are fooling yourselves. Because you could run like crazy, but you have to remember that your heart goes with you and the devil goes with you. You know, a few years ago, someone told me that part of the reason why they moved from the city to the suburbs was because there was too much evil over there. And everything inside, I didn't say this, but I should have. Everything inside of me, I would say, well, the same devil, evil over there is the same one that you just carry over. Because our biggest problem is always inside. So the question that we have to ask is, why does the devil do that? Leads to my second point, the tempter. See how he has two different names in verse 1? He's called the devil, and actually in verse 3, he's called the tempter. Now, the word devil means to slander or to damage reputation. One of the theologians says, to give malicious gossip. This is why one of the names for, for the devil is to be the accuser. And he tells you that the devil always uses these two uh, tools, if you will. He tempts you on one end. And then he accused you after you surrendered to your temptation. Let me do it again because that's almost like a boxing thing, right? It's, he tempts you, and then he accused you once you surrender. So this is what he does. He grabs whatever is good that the Lord has given you. He elevates it in your head. He elevates it in your heart. You surrender to it. You treat people, treat people and things and places and career and whatever it is, like if that was your God. And then he says something like this. And you call yourself a Christian? That's super ironic. He invites you to sin, and, say, and then he will say something like, how dare you say that you love God? He invites you to sin, and, I, and then he says, and you thought that you were good. He invites you to sin and say, you are such a disappointment to God. I am convinced that this is part of the reason why even some Christians are still bound to shame and guilt. Because they haven't learned how to identify when it is the voice of God, their own voice, or the voice of the devil. I actually think that that's what happened to Judas. So let me go back to him. So he betrays Jesus, right? And the text and the Bible tells us in Matthew 26 that he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, right? 
So the night when we, in which he betrayed Jesus and he's surrendering Jesus to his enemies, Jesus sees him and says this. Don't ever forget this, please. Friend, do what you came to do. Now, you have to remember that Jesus was sinless. He was not being sarcastic. Friend. He does not offend people just because. He would never, nothing came out of his mouth that was not at the end of the day for the well-being of that person. And if we know anything about Jesus, when he uses the word friend, it means a lot. It's close affection. It means affection. You remember in John chapter 15, verse 13, in which Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. So why would Jesus call Judas a friend? See, Jesus already knows that he needs to go to the cross. Jesus already knows that the the devil was using uh, Judas to betray him. He already knows this. So why would he call him a friend? You know, I've been thinking about that verse for many years. And nobody has been able to explain that to me just yet. So let me offer my conviction, but it's an offered conviction. I actually think that Jesus used that term to help him overcome his guilt once he will realize what he did. I think that Jesus, in the midst of all of this, is extending grace and he's saying, listen, remember, I still love you. I'm still for you. But if you know the rest of the story, you know that at one point Judas realized that he had sinned by betraying innocent blood, the Bible says. Actually, he goes to the religious leaders, returns the money, and says, listen, I don't want any part of this. And the religious leader said, well, that's your issue. And he says that throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. You know what I find extremely sad about that story? That he knew that Jesus was a God of compassion. He had already seen and heard Jesus forgiving people. He already knew that Jesus was loving. He already knew all of that. So why is it that he didn't go back to Jesus and at least repented? Why kill himself? Because the same devil that told them, you should do this, your money is more worthy than Jesus, your desire for money is stronger than Jesus, is the same devil that told them, how could you do this to your Savior? And he killed himself. His guilt and his shame eventually destroyed him. So don't for a second think that the devil just wants to make your life miserable. The devil wants to destroy you. 
He doesn't just want to give you a hard time. He wants you dead. Don't you think that why? Don't you think that this is the reason why we must talk about this? Don't you think that this is why it is so important that we learn not to surrender to temptation? Because the devil is real, and he wants to kill you. So we talked about what temptation is. I gave you a brief description of the tempter, the devil. But now I want to show you his technique. Because there's one thing that we know about the devil is that he's not creative. He uses the same things all the time. Actually, when you do a little bit of church history, you realize that he always uses the same techniques. And in the text, he uses four different things against Jesus. And I believe that these are the same things that he uses against you and against me every day. Four temptations. He's going to tempt you with your identity, with satisfaction, with security, and with significance. All the time. You could use different words. With your identity, with your appetites, with you feeling secure, and with you feeling that you are somebody. All the time. So let me show it to you. Look at the identity one in verse 3. It says that the tempter came to Jesus and said, if you are the son of God. Interesting that he, re he repeats the same verse, the same phrase in verse 6. This is what the devil is telling to Jesus. If you truly are who you say you are, prove it. If you are worthy, if you are worthy, prove it. If you have value and significance, prove it. If you are somebody, prove it. Don't you think that's part of the reason why we struggle with our identity so much? All right, this is family, right? How many of you guys struggle with your identity every now and then? Please raise your hand. Now, for those of you that don't struggle with that, I'm so glad. Because 99% of the world struggles with the same thing. That's part of the reason why it's never enough. This is part of the reason why we always want more. This is part of the reason why we always feel that we've got to prove something to somebody. This is part of the reason why people flex, to use a common term, or show or talk about everything that I have done and accomplished. This is part of the reason why we, we have this unquenchable desire for recognition and influence. Because deep down inside, we feel that we need to prove something, and the devil knows that. And he uses that. I don't know how many of you guys watched this movie. I don't recommend the movie because it's really bad, but it's a great illustration. It's the movie Creed, which is uh, uh, like one of the versions from uh, Rocky Balboa. He's the trainer. He's the trainer, and he's coaching or training the son of his past enemy, if you will. Right at the end of the fight, this young man is getting destroyed by the enemy, by the enemy, by, he, by the other boxer. And right at the end, with a busted face, he does not want the fight to stop. And this is what he says. Let me finish. I have to prove it. And Rocky Balboa looks at him and says, prove what? <laughs> and he says... That I am not a mistake. 
I think that many of us, including the preacher, many times feel that we have to prove that we're not a mistake. And the devil knows that. That's why we're so quick to defend ourselves and promote ourselves. The devil takes advantage of that. Look at how he plays around also with satisfaction. In verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Jesus was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, I find this one super interesting. Notice that the temptation is food. Listen, it's not sex. It's not uh, whatever, accomplishments. It's food. Anything wrong with food? Anything wrong with bread? No, nothing wrong with that. You know what the problem is? He's tempting Jesus to eat at the end of this 40-day journey to break his fast before the time was right. His whole temptation is to seek satisfaction out of place. Perfect example, and I just used it. You know, let's say that someone wants, um, wants pleasure, right, and intimacy with somebody. Is there anything wrong with that? Of course not. That was created by God, given by God. You know what the problem is? When the timing is off, right? Because that is designed for marriage, within the context of marriage, between one man and one woman. Not outside of marriage, not before marriage, not in other places besides marriage. So the problem is not the desire. The problem is that desire out of place in the wrong time. So the problem sometimes with our desires is not that they're there. It's that we don't want our desires to submit to what the Lord wants. That's seeking satisfaction. Look at the third one, security. Verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. And he says in verse 6, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. If you keep on reading, you know the text says, don't worry. Basically, my, I'm paraphrasing. Don't worry. Throw yourself down. God is going to catch you. You know what the temptation there was? If God really loves you, he will protect you. Is God faithful? Is he trustworthy? That's a test of God, says the Bible. Every time we question if God is faithful, that is the devil working with the things that you already have. And the last one is significance. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he says, all this I'll give you if you bow down and worship me. And this is where power, recognition, and control comes in. He says, everything that you have, everything in front of you, I could give you. Just worship me. You know what the temptation was? That without God. Anything wrong with power? No. The Lord gives power. Anything wrong with recognition? No. The Lord gives recognition. 
Anything wrong with you wanting to control certain things in your life? No. That's sometimes healthy. The problem is when the devil offers that instead of God. So if I have power, but I don't need the power of God, then there's an issue. If I want recognition out of the recognition that I already have in God, then there's an issue. If I want control because I can trust that God is in control, then that's an issue. You see how it works? All the same things, the same time, all the time. So the question then to finish is, how do we fight against the devil? And how do we fight against temptation? And how do we don't surrender to those temptations? And this will be, last word, triumph. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And it gives us two things that we have to do in that verse. To submit to God and to resist the devil. Now, I want to argue that to, that to submit to God and to resist the devil, there are four things that the Bible talks about all the time that we have to pay attention to. Number one, the Bible always calls you to examine yourself. Interesting that the word examine there is the same word that is used for testing and temptation. So part of the reason why the devil gets a hold of people is because they don't know the stuff that is happening in their own hearts. But if you learn how to assess yourself, to check your heart, to analyze what you have, the reason why you do the things you do, that's one of the ways on how you resist the devil. Second way to resist the devil, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, that God will not allow you to be tempted or tested without him giving you the strength that you need in order to pass that test. So that's why the hymn that we sung at the beginning, He Will Hold You Fast, is so important to me. One of my favorite hymns, modern hymns. Because this is the idea, that you cannot avoid to be tested and tempted in this world. But the guarantee is that God will, stay, will hold you fast and he will give you the strength you need to pass through that. Listen up. This is not willpower, church. This is not you saying, I could do it. It's about relying on the strength that the Lord gives in the midst of suffering, in the midst of temptation, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of testing. God saves you not from those things, but through those things. Number three, we need to understand why Jesus was tempted and the significance of his victory. Look at what it says. I told you that I was going to go back to this verse. In verse one, it says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You got to ask the question, why would the Spirit lead Jesus into the desert to be tempted? I think that the answer is simple. See, all throughout the scripture, Jesus had to show that he was a human like none of us. Jesus will have to, <clears throat> will have to experience everything that we experience. Jesus had to be a representative. Jesus had to live the life that none of us have lived. Jesus needed to be perfect and sinless and defeat the devil and not surrender to him. The question is why? So he could also be our perfect representative at the cross where he also 
face the devil. See, the spirit took Jesus to the desert to be tempted, and he defeated the devil there. So later on, when he goes to the cross, he also defeats the devil there. That's what Colossians chapter 6 says, that he triumphed over the, the devil. At the cross, he destroys all guilt and shame that the devil brings. Jesus lives the life that no one has lived, and he died the death that we all deserve as a representative. And that also helps you with all the four things that we struggle with. Because if Jesus won, and he did, because he died and resurrected, then you don't have to surrender to the temptation of identity. You know what? Because you are already a child of God in Jesus Christ. You got to preach to yourself that you are a child of God every time the devil wants to tempt you. It is because of Jesus and you are in him that you find satisfaction. God is already for you. Who can give you more than that? Because of Jesus, you already have significance. You know how the Bible calls you? A prophet, priest, and kings or queens. Whose approval do you need? You see, there's a four reason. And how there's a four yeah, reason on how we resist the devil. And it's through his word. Did you see in verse 4? He says, it is written. That's how he responded to the temptation. In verse 7, he says, it was also written. And in verse 10, he repeats it again. For it is written. This is what I want you to hear. Every lie of the devil could never be defeated with personal opinions and willpower. You will always fall. The devil only submits to God. And he submits to God when we use his word. The devil only submits to the gospel. That's why you must be a person of the book. I must be a person of the book. Not preferences, not what you think the Bible says, not what you like or don't like, what the Bible says. It's in our name, church. We are a written Bible church, not opinion church. Bible church. May the Lord grant us to be Bible people. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we are grateful that even though we can realize and acknowledge that the devil is real, not only we don't have to be afraid of him, not only we don't have to surrender to him, but at the same time, Lord, we remember two more truths, that he was already defeated by Jesus, uh, by Jesus Christ at the cross, and two, that you give us what is necessary to resist them and not submit to temptations. Lord, I know that as broken people, every now and then, we will submit to temptation. And during those times, Lord, I pray that you help us remember that Jesus called us his friends. His friends for which Jesus died for. So please do not allow shame and condemnation and guilt to control our hearts. But at the same time, remind us that the one living in us is greater than the one in the world. Therefore, we don't have to surrender to temptation. Please help us believe that and put it into practice. And we all say? <clears throat>
need the every hour. we say this together, we need you, Lord. He wants us to live for him, and we need him to live for him. Don't ever forget that. Amen? Before finishing the service, just a few things that I want you to know. Number one is, um, 
One of the things that one of the values of, as, a, as a church is that we believe in community. I, we think that everyone should be in community somehow. It's one of the groups, Bible studies, adult communities. You have to be part of something. You need to be part of something. I'm super excited to announce that we're going we're gonna to start a new summer adult community called First Steps. So if you are not part of a group, you might want to check that out. It starts in June, on June 12th, and you could visit our website, wittenbible.org slash next steps. Uh, you get all the information. Once again, if you are new to the church and you're not part of a community, you, want, you might want to check that out. Number two, I want to remind you that part of our worship is uh, giving to the Lord what he deserves. Sustain the church financially, give to the Lord what he deserves. So there's different ways for you to do that. You could always give online. You could always give in person. As you, as you exit the building, there's boxes over there. Or if you worship it with us online, you could always send your offering uh, to the church. And lastly, because we also believe in community, we want to celebrate this year. And on June 5th, we're going to have a picnic, all-church picnic. So we're going to have uh, the English-speaking side, the Spanish-speaking side, uh, Tri-Village, and we're all ha- going to have a blast. So all you have to do is show up. You know, there's going to be food from you. It's going to be f- uh, for you from 3 to 7. We're going to spend time together eating from 4 to 6. That's two hours of eating, so there's going to be a lot of food. Um, all you have to do is bring your chair or your blanket and just hang around. There's nothing more beautiful than when brothers and sisters hang around together for the glory of God, loving one another. Amen? Let's receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us at the cross. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And we all say, thanks for coming. We love you. Church, you are sent.